Okay, we're going to uh, turn please to Exodus and chapter 14 because I'm continuing the series in Moses uh, when I'm here from time to time and uh, uh, I hope it won't interrupt your flow of thought in the book of Acts uh, but uh, it helps me even if it doesn't help you uh, to follow through Moses. I'm in Exodus and chapter 14 which is where we got to and I'll read uh, from the beginning of the chapter to about, I think, about verse 14. I won't read the whole chapter. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering. In the land, the wilderness has shut them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the, the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we've done? that we've let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot, took his army with him, took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, all his horsemen, the army, and overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pihiroth, in front of Baal Ziphon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in this wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Then the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we can gather with all our hearts. We can sing out to you. We are, we are waiting here for you. Father, thank you for such an amazing privilege. Come from our diverse homes get in our cars, get on buses, get here, lift our hands and say, we are waiting here for you. And Father, we, we thank you so much that you see our waiting, you see our hearts, you see our needs, you see our desires, you know our lifestyle, you know the things that trouble us, excite us, motivate us. Lord, you're the answer to every need of ours and we are waiting here for you. We pray for the Holy Spirit. Come now, be our teacher, we pray. Come take these words, make them live in our hearts. 
cause them to have impact for us in our 21st century lives, we pray. Let the relevance speak right into our experience, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So why are we looking at the story of Moses? Well, uh, we're in church, so you read the Bible. No, not as simple as that. We're told in the, first, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says all these things happen to them as an example, and they're written down for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. In other words, we who are living in these last times in world history, these things are written down for us. Actually, solid history, it actually happened, but it's written down to instruct us, to help us. We'll, we can learn a lot from stories, narratives, things that took place, and that's why it's written. And so we look at these things together, not simply because, well, we look at old stories. No, they're here to instruct us. We're on a journey also. The Christian life is called a way. Jesus said, I am the way. And one of the first names of the Christians in the New Testament was followers of the way. We're on a journey. I guess Pilgrim's Progress is a classic story telling of the journey of someone putting their faith in God. And we're very conscious that we are being led by God. And so we're looking at a story of people who are being led by God. God is taking them. He's saved them already through the Passover, which they were to regularly remember the night when he brought judgment to Egypt, but protected them by lambs being slain and blood being put over the doorpost saying, hey, okay, I will give you mercy because a lamb died in your place. They made a relationship with God that night. They became his special treasure, if you like, in a particular way when the Passover was celebrated. When they did what he told them, then they began this journey. And you'll find actually from chapter 6 to chapter 14, every chapter begins with, and the Lord said, and the Lord spoke, and the Lord gave them directions effectively. So they are consistently being led by God, and they're being led by a pillar of glory, this extraordinary phenomenon of a cloud which was leading them, which at night shone with phenomenal brightness. So they are being supernaturally, extraordinarily led by God. His instructions, go and do this, the pillar of glory, follow where I'm leading you. And so, yes, they're caught up with the Most High God who's seen them in their slavery, in the oppression of Egypt. For years they've been oppressed as slaves. They're living as refugees. Now they're on an escape plan, an amazing journey, being supernaturally led. And as they're supernaturally led, suddenly they encounter the Red Sea. Suddenly their way is blocked. Suddenly they can't get any further. And uh, the story, the first thing the story tells us is what those who are looking on think, what Pharaoh thinks. It's interesting that that's one of the first things commented on in the chapter. Pharaoh thinks they're wandering around. They've lost any sense of direction. They're wandering aimlessly, it says in the NASB. In the NIV it says they're wandering in confusion. Actually, they're being led. But by, in the mind of those who don't understand God and don't know God's ways, they're just wandering aimlessly. And sadly, it can look like that sometimes when we begin to follow God. We begin to go in his purposes. You can find sometimes your, your workmates, your relatives, your friends, your parents. I remember my parents saying, what are you doing? 
What are you doing? I, I left my job and started serving God. What are you doing? You're losing all your friends. What? You're just wandering around. But I was being led. I was being led by God. But when others look on, it just looks pointless. And the Bible says that the unspiritual man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. They are foolishness to him. They're just foolishness. You think, what on earth are these people doing? What, what, why are they going on this way? And the Apostle Paul says that his whole gospel seems foolish if you haven't come to really understand what God is doing. And so here, the first thing we see is this sense, no, they're wandering around. Actually, they're not wandering around, they're being led. And, the, and actually, they don't take a direct route because in the previous chapter it says, God, seeing that the Philistine potential army, he took them on a journey away from them, feeling, hey, that could be a dangerous place for them. They're not ready for that yet. So God was not only leading them, he was leading them with compassion and kindness and wisdom and knowledge, but from outside it just looked confusing. The outsider saw it as confusing, and often that's how people regard those who are actually following truth. And sometimes you'll see, even in something like Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, or Godspell, these endeavours to tell the story of Jesus, you'll find at the end of those uh, endeavours, you find, oh, he kind of lost his way. He was a phenomenal teacher, maybe supernatural, but he kind of lost his way and got killed. And they, they don't understand. No, 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 he was going purposefully. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He wasn't hounded there. He went there. He said, I laid down my life. And of course, they failed to understand God raised him up again from the dead. The whole wonder of resurrection power from the God who created the heavens and the earth. So, yes, they are misunderstood Pharaoh doesn't comprehend what's happening. And then he says, no, they are shut in. There's no way forward. Now these things speak to us because we can go through experiences like this, where we can be on our journey and suddenly, through one situation or another, we seem to hit problems. We thought, well, I was following Jesus. Now I didn't expect this would happen. I didn't expect that this kind of sickness would break into our home. I didn't expect this, this house problem. I didn't expect I'd have problems in my marriage. I never thought I'd have relational issues in the church I go to. Uh, you can hit problems you never dreamed you'd hit. But it's important for us to see that they were being led by God to the problem. They hadn't hit the problem because they'd lost God. And following God is no guarantee you won't hit problems. So here they're led to a problem and you find the impact of fear that hits them. We just need to look at this this morning. It's one of the main issues that we're looking at. The impact of fear, because here we get this instruction not to fear. Fear is a very powerful emotion. It can just rise up and overwhelm you. And it can rob you of your energy. You feel like energy is kind of just draining out of your boots when fear really grips you. When the situation you're in, you think, I can't see a way through this. And here we find that energy is drained out of these people. It says they walked out boldly. When they first exited, one of the things they were told to do was to take the Egyptians' goods, take gold and silver, 400 years back pay, if you like. Uh, they, went out, uh, they went out with courage. They went out with strength. They, they felt assured. And now suddenly, all that assurance is drained out of them. They're saying, why didn't you leave us in Egypt? And so on. Because suddenly, everything 
is getting distorted because fear can do that to you. Fear can make everything get distorted. It can rob you of your peace. It can rob you of your sleep. It can invade your life and dominate your life. It makes you get all sorts of things out of proportion. It makes little things become big. And fear of the future is especially a powerful thing. What will happen to us? What if? And so the what if question comes into our conversations. What if this? What if this? And so suddenly we're dominated by this horrible thing which is really an emotion and a response which we're going to learn how to overcome and which Moses is going to teach them has to be overcome. It also makes you forget things. You kind of forget, well, actually, we were slaves a few weeks ago. We were, in, we were, we were being whipped. We were being beaten. We, we hardly had anything to eat. We were being told to make bricks without straw. They're kind of getting things completely out of proportion. Think what it used to be. But they're not looking at it objectively anymore. Fear robs you of objectivity. It kind of dominates the way you view things. And they begin to say, why didn't you leave us in Egypt? Like it was preferable? Like being beaten up was preferable? Suddenly everything gets out of proportion. Where we used to be was easier. And really it's fear that is confusing them completely. The impact of fear. And we need to see how that is true for us. The Bible says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that overtakes you. I think one of the reasons we find it difficult is we didn't expect it to happen. I guess the Egyptians, I mean the Israelites, didn't expect that they were going to hit this kind of a problem. And that can happen to us. Well, I never thought it would be like this to be a Christian. I never thought, because when I heard, it was like, you can have joy, you can have peace, you can have everything you want. Just come to Jesus. And sometimes we hear a message that's a bit like that and we don't anticipate there'll be problems. Don't be surprised. And even, even the, the Greek word that says don't be surprised is what the Greeks use this phrase. It's, it's present continuous. It's like, it, don't, co- don't co- carry on being surprised. A man called Ben Witherington says, stop being regularly surprised. It's like, how, why did this happen? How did this happen? Don't be regularly surprised. That there will be difficulties. Jesus was pretty straight about that. In the world, you will suffer persecution. Paul similarly said, no, you're going to face difficulties. Tribulations, difficulties will be ahead of you. There will be problems. There can be problems that come into the right, right into the personal part of our lives. You know, you begin to get scared about big things. Like your marriage. You know, I fell in love with him because... Well, he was so spontaneous. He was so kind of unusual, exciting. I really fell in love with him. Now I'm married to him. He's so irresponsible. He's kind of, he makes <laughs> rash decisions. I'm scared about our money. And, or or you, you married him because you thought, well, he's so steady. So kind of reliable. He's Mr. Reliable. Now you're married to him. You think, oh, he's so controlling. Everything. And, and what looks so good? You think, oh, what happened? I thought, and now I'm trapped. Now I'm in this. What happened? And I never expected this. Or come something like that can happen in our job situation. A friend of mine was became made a small group, a life group leader in the church we were first in. He's a policeman, and they said we, we want to offer you a promotion soon after he's made into a life group leader. 
And he said, no, actually, I don't want to be promoted at the moment. I want, I want to stay in this church. And he said, well, why don't you want a promotion? Because it means moving away. It means moving miles away. He said, well, why? No, why? well I'm, I'm in this church. We're starting this church. We're building this church. And so, I, no, I won't take the promotion. Thank you. And they said to him, you have just committed professional suicide. Because he, he, put, he put the church first in a fairly major way. And suddenly, whoa, that, so that's the end of your promotion hopes. I didn't expect that. We can hit things we never anticipated. We can, we can hit pressures even in church life. Why don't they even ask me? I've never been asked to be a life group leader. I've never asked to be in the music group. I've never asked to be... And you can, you can, be, you can hit setbacks. Things where you feel, well, I, I didn't think it would turn out like this. I thought life would be very simple, straightforward. And we, we suddenly hit things which can make us feel trapped. We're shut in. There doesn't seem to be any way forward until we can begin to think, I don't know if I can make it, really. That's where it gets scared. I, I feel trapped. I had a letter from a guy this last week who said exactly that. He said, I, I just feel trapped. He's a Christian. And actually, he's followed Jesus. But he's, he's got to that where he's, he's got inside him. I feel trapped. And it's scaring him. It can happen with all sorts of issues. House moves, relationships, job situation. I feel trapped. I haven't got what it takes. I feel like God's asking more of me than I can give. All those things start entering our minds and we, uh, we begin to lose peace and joy. We feel, is there no way out of this? I'm locked in. It's a horrible feeling. It's something that can creep up on us with awful power. We're shut in. Now let's see. Let's see what Moses says to this as God directs him. He says, first of all, don't fear. Now that sounds very easy, doesn't it? You know, you're scared and someone says, don't fear. But really we've got to see the weight and authority of that. Some people have said, you know, there are 365 don't fears, fear nots in the Bible. Actually, that is not true. <laughs> Just look at any concordance. It's not true. But it sounds good, doesn't it? But uh, <laughs> you don't really need it 365 times. When God says don't fear, that is a word. Actually, God says don't steal. God says don't lie. God says don't commit adultery. When God says don't do something, we, we're meant to take it seriously. And when he says don't fear, it's like you have, to, you have to stand back. You have to let the thing have full weight. Feel the sense of its authority. Do not fear. That's not a path to go down. That's a cul-de-sac. You go down there, you're going to have to come back up it again. There's no route there. It doesn't lead to anything positive. It won't take you anywhere. Don't get on that bus. Don't do it. Make a step. Refuse it. It's like in the New Testament when it says, have, have no anxiety about anything. <laughs> it's like, why pray when you can worry? No, you're not meant to give yourself to those things. We're not meant to go down that route. We have to step back and submit ourselves to the authority of God that it's coming to us with real weight. Do not fear. Don't fear. That's the word that's coming to us. Stand and see the salvation of God. Stand firm. Stand firm. Now that's something that is addressed to people who have been supernaturally led, that have been wrenched out from slavery, 
that have a glory cloud going ahead of them. That have, they're under God's direction. It's not like, don't fear in a vacuum. It's like, listen, you used to be dead in trespasses and sins. You used to not know there was a God. You used to be completely blind to the reality of God. You used to have never had had an answered prayer. That was your background. Now look, look where you've come from. Look who you are. Look that God has put his hand upon you. Take courage from what he has done for you in the past and stand firm on what you know to be true. Alright, stand firm, stand and see. To be honest, you know, if you run away, you see nothing. It's standing firm and it's learning to stand when obstacles seem to be telling you, you know, the best thing to do is back off. Let's leave, let's go backwards. Let's not bother to press forward, it's too difficult. It's standing ground. It's standing firm. I remember when we first started the New Day event, which is our young people's camp in the summer, the very first time we gathered, we were at the showground and Wendy and I arrived one day late and they had had such serious rain on the opening day and right through the night when we arrived in the afternoon of the second day, the police were there, the fire brigade were there, lots of the youngsters had been taken off camp already to sleep somewhere else overnight because it was just a wipeout. And they just said, we are urging you, we can't require it of you, we are urging you, close this camp. And all the administrators were ready to close camp. But we'd had this word from God. That New Day was something of huge proportion. That New Day was an important youth event. It was something that God had spoken of. Someone had seen a vision of a, of a, a dirty bath with a, with a dirty ring around it. And then water pouring into it and pouring into it and coming up past the dirty ring around the bath and then overflowing and then saying it's of national significance. And they're saying close it down on the first time we met after two days. Close it. And we turned out and said, no, we're not closing it. We're staying. We're not going to... But you know, we're advising you. No, we're not going. And praise God, the, all the administration was ready to close down. Said, "Okay, we'll, we'll turn the administration around. We'll sort it." And the rain backed off a bit the second day, and it got better. And as many of you know, we now get seven thousand teenagers. Hundreds have been converted. Hundreds have been healed. Phenomenal things have happened in people's lives. But you had to stand when they said, "No, we're telling you, close. We should close this thing down." I knew if we closed it then. We would never open it again. We knew, I knew, if they give in now, we'll never resurrect, it'll be finished. Now we've got to stand. Beloved, we get into all sorts of situations where you know you have to stand. It's like when we were going to go for the building in Brighton, they said, no, you can't have it. You can't have it. We just knew we were supposed to have it. And then a microphone put in my face on live television. What do you say now? I said, no, we're going to have it. If you, if you back off, you don't see. Stand and see what God will do. Stand. If you stand, you'll see the salvation of God. This is going to be the mightiest deliverance in all of Israel's history. Ahead is the opening of the Red Sea. Hollywood's still making movies about it. Thousands of years later, they may not make it very well, but they're still trying to make it. And say, this is breathtaking. This is the biggest event in Israel's history. It's the thing that gets referred to again and again in the Psalms. He opened the sea. He brought us out. It's what demonstrates that Israel is a supernatural, incredible people. They're not just nomads. They're owned by God. God demonstrated amazing power 
it's like a symbol of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's a phenomenal demonstration that we're not mere moralists. We believe in a, a God who intervenes powerfully in our lives, who does breathtaking things, who changes our circumstances by intervening. And if they backed off, they would not have seen. Stand still and see. Jesus said at the tomb of Lazarus, his greatest miracle, I said, why weren't you here? He said, look, did I not say to you, believe and you will see the glory of God. You believe first, you see next. See, some people say the seeing is believing. It's the other way around in the Bible. Believe and then you'll see. Believe and you'll see. You'll see something happen. You'll see God break through. But if you back off through fear, you'll never see that second part. You'll never see the intervention of God. So, beloved, you've got to say, no, I won't fear. Otherwise, I'm going to not see what God will do. If I back off, I'm not see God. And so that, that, that will come in moments in your life and mine. It'll come in all sorts of situations. Marriage, church, work, housing, all sorts of things where we hit walls. God wants us to believe that we might see what he will do. He was leading them. They were actually right on course of his purpose. Stand firm. The Lord will fight for you. Now that's so reminiscent of what it says in Ephesians chapter 6. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now it's important we just back up and look at this carefully. It is saying, see what God will do. See, we believe in God. We believe in a God who is alive and intervenes. We're not just religious people. We're not moralists. Christianity is not morality. It's a God who intervenes, God who steps in, God who does things. You see, you can be just like a Stoic. The Stoics were a very impressive philosophy in these days. The Stoics were a Greek community philosophy which was like never acknowledge weakness. That was, that was Stoicism, never acknowledge weakness. And, and so, so it's like, I see no Red Sea. What Red Sea? There is no problem. And so, you know, just be self-contained. And, and the British temperament in the past, maybe, stiff upper lip. Uh, it's like you, well, come on, pull yourself together. That's what people can think we're talking about. No, go, stand firm, pull yourself together. That is not what it's saying. It's saying, stand firm and see what God will do. It's saying, don't run away, but see what God will do. Be strong in the Lord. And the strength of his might is calling on God in life. Not just calling on God the day you get saved. Lord Jesus, will you please come into my life and save me? See, it's possible to say, well, I believe in God now. I trust I'll believe in God when I die. But during my life I live, as Tozer says, a pro-tem atheist. We need to call on God in life. In our situations that we encounter. Believe in God throughout life. That we experience him. That we know he's there. He's a God, we're not looking for us to pull yourself together. <laughs> it's be strong in the Lord. And, and it says, it says in, in Ephesians 6, be strong. Well, actually, again, if you look at the, uh, uh, the Greek words, sorry about that, but if you do, it says, actually, it says, be strengthened in the Lord. It's what they call a passive imperative. It's passive, be strengthened, but it's, it's an imperative, it's a command. Be strengthened. 
How do you be strengthened? I can do something that's active, but how do I do something passive? Be strengthened. It's like be filled with the Spirit. Something that's passive, something that happens to us, but we're told to apply ourselves. Be strengthened. Be filled. How do you do that? How? Well, you look at it carefully and you think of things like Psalm 46, where you get a similar thing. Very famous psalm. God says, Be still and know that I am God. That's very much the heart of what we're talking about. He's saying, don't run away. Don't say, oh, if only you'd left us in Egypt. The past used to be easier. That's not what he's saying. No, and he's not saying, pull yourself together. He's saying, be still and know I am God. I've led you this far with the intention of leading you on. See, God's the author of the whole deal. God's the initiator. God raised up Moses. God said, I've come to deliver you. I'm going to do it. It's a place for faith to be lined up with God's ability. And be still. And know. It's funny, in the margin of the NASB it says, relax. (laughs) Relax. It says, cease striving. Cease striving. Stop going round and round in your mind. And I followed this Hebrew word through. And actually, when it says be still, it means this. Enough! And I looked up, where else does that happen? And you get the situation where Samuel is speaking to Saul, who's a rebellious king, and Samuel's a prophet. And he's giving all his excuses, excuses, excuses. And Samuel says to him, enough! It's like God is saying to us, enough! Come on! Enough. No, I am God. I will be exalted, it goes on. Stop striving. Stop fussing. Don't yield to fear. Enough of that. That's the command. Fear not. It's like a, come on! It's not like pull yourself, but stop going down that track. Enough. And, and beloved, we just need to let it come to us with that authority. We don't need it 365 times. Just let it come. It's enough. Stop. Stop living with fear. Be still. And know that I am God. And we're strengthened by knowing. Again, a very famous New Testament verse is, God makes all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But I left off two important words when I quoted it just then. The two words that begin that whole sentence are this. We know. We know that God makes all things work together for good. You'll find when Paul writes his epistles again and again, he says, do you not know? Do you not know? And again, sometimes he prays. I'm praying for you for a spirit of revelation that you might know. You see, it's, it's possible to know a thing in your brain. So yeah, that's what it says in the Bible. But it's not just knowing what it says in the Bible. It's knowing it. It's saying, I live by this. Lord, I live by your word. Your word's enough for me. I eat it. I, see, we don't read the Bible because we're supposed to as a Christian. You, you get fortified by truth. Your, your, effect, your thinking's affected. The things that impress you, you're more impressed by what God says. Otherwise, we're not walking by faith, we're walking by sight. 
We're saying, well, look, the sea's blocking my way. It's the end of the story. We can't go any further. I've hit this problem. So people hang loose these days in case we hit a problem. They even walk into marriage having already arranged how we get out of this if it doesn't work. Their prenuptial agreement may not work. We've no intention of getting uncomfortable. If this is uncomfortable, we're out of here. Instead of the Christian way of saying, no, God led, we walk carefully with God, God's going to lead us. We threw the key away. We hold our wife's shoulders and we say, whatever happens, I'm with you through this. I'm with you through this. You say, isn't that dangerous? No, you said that on the wedding day. We're in this together. We're not backing out. It's knowing a God who's faithful. As we love to sing it, he's faithful God. And he wants to reproduce in us that characteristic. And it comes through getting to know him, that he's reliable. And he begins to build that into us. No, we will be reliable people because he's trustworthy. And so we are strong not because we're stoical, not because we're British, not because stiff upper lip, come on, you're a Brit. No, 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 none of that. None of that. It's through meeting God. It's through getting nourishment from God. See, the Stoics would say, I have no problems. They would say, no, we don't even see problems. There are no problems. Now, Apostle Paul said this. He said, I had this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. It's all sorts of things. Some people think it's because the phrase is to do with his health, which may have been, but I think probably more likely in the context, it was about the oppressive persecution he was getting from the Judea. He says, everywhere he stopped, they were after him, because that's the text. But he says, three times I said to the Lord, take it away. Take it away from me. It's not like the Stoics would say, I have no problem, they don't trouble me. This isn't a problem to me. And he says, three times I asked the Lord, please remove it. He's facing the fact, this thing's getting on to him. This is a problem to me. He's not saying, I don't have a problem. This is a problem to me. Three times. And I don't think he meant, you know, while he was giving thanks for the meal, oh, and by the way, Lord, take this thing. I think it means he really gave himself. Probably three seasons of prayer and fasting or something. He, three times I went after God. And then he said, he said, the Lord said to me, my strength is perfected in your weakness. See, that's a lovely verse. My, God says to me, my strength is sufficient for you. My strength is perfected in weakness. My strength. See, that's a wonderful verse. In my own Bible, I underline this, this phrase, he said to me. He said to me. We're not talking about willpower. We're not talking about stoicism. We're talking about fellowship with a God who speaks to us, takes away our fears, opens up the way. He said to me. And so he said, I'll glory in my weakness. He said, I've, had my, I've, got, my, I've got my answer from God because he spoke to me. He changed the circumstance by coming into my life and speaking to me. It changed everything for me. I will therefore glory in my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell upon me. That is an adequate answer for Paul. It's like, I've got the answer comes from God. 
I love the story in Daniel where it says Daniel was praying, he's looking for something to happen and God comes to him and says, Oh man of high esteem, don't be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage. Be courageous. Then he says this, Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength. See, be strengthened. How do you get strengthened? As soon as he spoke to me, I gained strength. Be still. Know, know who you're with. Know who's in charge of your life. Know who's ordering your steps. Know who's guiding your path. And stand back. Enough! Stop that. And know I'm God. I make things work together for good. Step back into the ground of knowing. Step out of that discordant note where you don't know. You think, I wish I'd gone back. I wish we never left Egypt in the first place. Perhaps we should go back to Egypt. Making rash decisions while you're full of fear. Never do it. Know yourself. Don't make big decisions when you know you're scared. Know yourself. Steady yourself. We go through different seasons in life. Don't make big decisions when you know you're emotionally frail. Don't say, oh no, it used to be. It would have been better if we hadn't done it. That would have been such a failure. And so we find that's the word. Stand firm and see what God will do. And finally, let's just see this. He said to them, ultimately, go forward. Now, it's interesting. We see the word be strong is a difficult word except behind it is the power of God. So when, when Jesus, Jesus sees a man lying crippled on the floor and says to him, get up. Or he sees a man with a withered arm and, 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 this, and he says to the man with a withered arm, stretch forth. You think, you think that's a bit cruel, isn't it? Got a withered arm. No, the, the fact that Jesus said it to him meant he could do it. It was with the command that he could do it. Stretch forth. That's not mocking a man with a withered arm. That's saying, do it. And, and he stretched forth. And he stretched forth. And, I can't. As I, as I take his word seriously, be strong. I find I can do it. I step into his supernatural skill. It says about the ten lepers. The ten lepers came to Jesus and they're pleading for healing. And Jesus says to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went on their way, they were made whole. Amazing. As they went on their way. In other words, when Jesus said, go, if they said, hold on a minute, let's just have a look here. Uh, what's the point of going? I've got a spot. No, no. As they were going, he said, go. They said, okay, we'll take you seriously. We go. As they were going, they were made whole. They stepped into the power of his word. When God says to us, be strong, he is communicating grace to us. He's saying, no, I'm God, and I'm, command I'm communicating strength to you. I'm giving you strength in your inner man. I'm giving you the ability. Walk in newness of life. Walk in it. Step away from sin. I'm giving you the power to do it. I'm giving you the skill to do it. I'm giving you the ability to do it. Otherwise, it's a very cruel thing to say. 
to a man with a withered arm stretched forth. It's in the very command that comes the ability. And beloved, God can make us courageous. He came to Gideon, who's a scared rabbit. I mean, he's scared. He's hiding in a cave. And God comes to him and says, Go in the strength of yours. Have I not sent you? And he's a transformed man. Because God, God, in speaking, can communicate grace. You don't have to fear these situations. You don't have to fear. You don't have to acknowledge, I'm shut in. There's no way forward for me. I'm scared. I can't see any way out of this. God speaks courage to us. He says to us, look, I want you to know I'm God. I have led you. I have watched over you. I've guarded you. I'm going to bring you to glory. I'm going to bring you home into my presence forever. You're the apple of my eye. I've not abandoned you. Stop fearing. Be still. See what God will do. Jesus, our wonderful, wonderful example and deliverer, you know, he came, came so courageously three years and then gradually the cross is looming a large shadow over him and it comes to Gethsemane and, and he trembles and he says and I pray let this cup pass from me he's terrified of what it's going to cost him the Holy One he sweat as it were great drops of blood he's utterly shut in He's utterly shut in. He'd, already, he'd, st- he'd stepped up boldly like these Egyptians. They, they stepped up boldly, it says. Jesus stepped boldly, set his face like a flint. He went ahead of them. It says they were amazed as he strode out to go to Jerusalem. And suddenly, suddenly he hits it. Suddenly he's terrified. And suddenly then he prays this prayer. Shall I say, let this cup pass from me? If it's possible... And he said, shall I not drink the cup the Father's given me? And he walks with faith into the agonies of the cross. He walks into it. He doesn't back off. He doesn't run away. He's not an ex-saviour. He walks right into it. Beloved, he walks right into death. Complete abandonment by the Father. Total abandonment. Total about. There's no way. There's no way he's going to die. They're laughing. They're mocking. They're spitting. They're smacking. They're smashing thorns into his head. They're saying, "If he's the Son of God, where's the voice from heaven? Talk about shut in. He's shut in. In order, beloved. In order that he might conquer death. He's broken every chain. We've sung about it. He's broken every chain. He had to go through it and out the other side." Like these guys had to go through the Red Sea and up and free. Jesus obeyed. He didn't back off. He trusted here. He committed himself to God. Into his hands. I just, he just triumphed and saw the salvation of God. He was crucified in weakness. He was raised in power. He wasn't a stoic. He trusted his father. He trusted his father. I laid down my life. God raised him up. Beloved, we follow a great saviour. 
We follow a saviour who didn't back off. He went right through for us. And because he went through for us, there's forgiveness for us. There's mercy for us. He took all our guilt on himself. Dear friends, if you're kind of looking in, maybe you're on Alpha at the moment, or looking in, wondering about Christianity, you're so welcome to be with us. It's what we're here for. Let me encourage you, come to know this one who can transform situation after situation. Not because you suddenly have to become somebody you weren't. I knew when I wondered about, if I become a Christian, can I keep it up? Would I be able to change? Can I? I mean, I'm, I'm a mess. I'm getting drunk most weekends. How do, I, how do I keep it up if I become a Christian? As though I had to do it. Don't fear. God does an amazing thing. He changes us from the inside. Let's stand to pray. Let's just draw near to God. We've sung already. We're waiting here for you. I guess that's what they could have sung. At that Red Sea. Lord, look, look, look what, look what we've got ourselves into. No, they didn't get themselves into it. God led them there. Maybe you're facing scary stuff. Maybe you feel, I can't see the way forward. Be still. No, I'm God. Stand firm. With all the tenderness and all the authority of God. Stand firm. You will see the salvation of God. You will see the salvation of God. He is a saviour. He saves us in life. He will save you. That's his promise. You call his name Jesus. He will save. He will save his people. Father, we do thank you so much. Let's bring my dear friends to you. We bring one another to you. Lord, we're waiting for you. We're looking for you. We thank you. You are a God of incredible deliverances. A God who saves, who rescues. It's your delight to rescue. We thank you one day you're going to rescue every one of us from death. Bring us home to eternal glory. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for your triumph. Father, we just pray right now for any who are really scared at the moment. Lord, you know the things we hit, the things that look too big for us. And Father, we just pray, let your spirit come profoundly into each heart. Communicate strength to us. That, Lord God, we might see you absolutely faithful. We want to prove you, know you, enjoy your saving power. Just draw near to us, even as we're worshipping you, as we sing our praise to you, Lord, as we respond to you with all our hearts. Please draw near to us. Fortify us. Communicate with us. Pray in Jesus' name.